0: size of Acts uh, on uh, to, to preach out of. And uh, I do believe, by the way, that it is effective. I know it's effective in my own personal study, but I believe it's effective to go through books like this, to do uh, to do this type of verse-by-verse preaching and just going through. But uh, it could be a, quite a, a lengthy book for us to be working through. So uh, hopefully you and I will both survive the book of Acts in the length of time. But Uh, Be grateful you have been to every single message out of this book so far. So Acts chapter 1, now you just keep that up and we'll be in good shape. Luke uh, here is the author of Acts. He depicts the birth and the growth of the church, the early church. He covers a a time span of about 33 years. Uh, He begins with the ascension of Christ and he ends with the imprisonment of Paul in Rome. Along the way, he describes the early days in the church in Jerusalem, the church's beginnings uh, as they began to reach beyond their own community, and then the three missionary journeys across Asia Minor and into Greece. He, in this book, introduces to us 95 people. 62 of these people are not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament, so we're introduced to some new people here uh, the key verse to the book of Acts, as you would expect, is found in chapter 1, verse 8. We'll actually hit on this verse tonight. Uh, but ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you, uh, or after that, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he will be my witness. Look at it, actually, verse 8 here. I'm slaughtering it, so I'll read it. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh as we read, let's actually start at verse number 1 here, and we'll read through verse 7, and then we'll start to unpack this. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do, uh, both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanding, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence." When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. And then the verse that we read, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Father, tonight I pray that you'd help us as we unpack this passage of Scripture, help us to learn some things that be helped to us, in Jesus' name, Amen. We look uh, uh, concerning the writing here. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus. He's talking about the book of Acts. So Luke wrote two books. He wrote the book of Acts, and he wrote the book. Uh, uh, he wrote Luke, and then he wrote Acts. It's interesting because if you're asked the question, "Who wrote most of the New Testament?" almost always our answer is Paul. But if you look at actual word count. Luke wrote more than Paul did because these are lengthier books. And so he wrote much of the New Testament in these two books. Uh, he's talking to Theophilus or writing to Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus, we don't know much about. We uh, we can assume that he was some kind of a position or held some kind of position because he called him in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 3, most excellent. And it uh, means he probably had some rank in society. But I think it's greater honor, don't you, that he, uh, than any rank he might. Might have been that he was the recipient of two books of the Bible: the Book of Luke and then the Book of Acts. Of course, we know that that does not uh, that doesn't mean they don't apply to us or the early church, because most books in the New Testament were written to a person or a church, uh, and then they also are meant for us. Luke here gives the summary here of the Book of Luke uh, in of all the things of the Book of Luke, and then. Uh, as he introduces the book of Acts as well. Of all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. I think it's interesting that he refers to the life and the ascension of Jesus as the beginning. what Jesus began both to do and teach, but what a beginning, amen. Uh, it was the beginning of one who had no beginning. And yet, Jesus came and started this work that has not ended. It should not have yet ended. We are to continue the work that Jesus started. All that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, the word all is obviously a relative term. He could not write everything Jesus did. In fact, John talked about this in John twenty-one twenty-five, and there, there were also many things that Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose, even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So John says, if we wrote everything Jesus did, the world would not be big enough to hold the books. So Jesus did much more than can be written down but this is what uh, Luke is talking about here. Luke's gospel, he's trying to make the point, is a Christ-centered gospel. It was all about Jesus. Uh, he did not leave, Christ didn't, until after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles. Now, we see here, uh, and just as a recap, coming up to this moment here in Scripture, because we're about to get to the ascension here, uh, the proofs of Christ's resurrection... We're covered in many areas. First, we see the showing. Look at what the Bible says here. Uh, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. So he showed himself. The resurrection was more than just a rumor. The resurrected Christ showed himself uh, alive on a number of occasions and to many different people. Second, we see the seeing, being seen of them 40 days. The apostles saw Christ repeatedly over a 40-day period. Uh, This was not a momentary vision. This was not too much uh, uh, anchovies on your pizza having a dream. This was over and over and over. They saw Jesus in this 40-day period. So he had the showing, the seeing, and then the speaking. Speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The disciples not only saw Christ, but they also heard him. Now, we see in the Gospels that the disciples took some convincing. And it's amazing to me that it, they took so much convincing. They were three years traveling with Jesus. Jesus routinely told them that when he died, he would be risen again. And it's interesting that the disciples forgot all of that. When Jesus died, That it was all over for them. Peter, well, back to my old life. And the other said, yeah, well, we'll go back to the old life with you. You know who believed and remembered? The religious leaders. His enemies remembered it. They Told, warned Pilate about it. Hey, this is what he said. And they asked Pilate if you put an extra guard on the tomb because uh, this man claimed he would rise again. Uh, but the disciples took some convincing. After Jesus was dead and buried, they concluded that it was all over. When the women came to the tomb, they wondered who. Remember, they wondered who would remove the stone. But then they got there; the stone was already removed, and an angel uh, spoke to them. You know what the disciples' response to that was? Uh, they, when they ran and told the disciples about it, Luke twenty four ten, It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Well, then Peter and John ran to the empty tomb uh, they looked in. John believed, but it seems that Peter still doubted. Now, it's interesting. The women, to their credit, were more easily convinced than the men were. Uh, later that day, two disciples who didn't buy the resurrection story are on their way to Emmaus, and Jesus comes to them. You know that story. And when Jesus revealed himself to them, they ran back to Jerusalem, told everybody that Jesus was alive and that they had spoke to him. According to Mark 16, 13, they didn't believe them either. These are Jesus' followers. These are the apostles. These are the ones that, of all people, should believe the resurrection story. And uh, then uh, we know the Lord made his first appearance to the eleven. Uh, Thomas skipped church because there was a Vikings game on, and he stayed home to watch it. Rascal. And uh, then he came back and refused to believe the testimony of all the others. Uh, he didn't believe until Jesus dealt with his unbelief. I, I want you to just keep your finger in but you got to turn over to Mark 16 Sometimes you read a passage, and I know it, the, the terminology wasn't invented yet, but if it had been invented, there would be a big old capital L, capital O, capital L, uh, LOL beside what you read, because this kind of cracked me up. In fact, I was reading it. it, it I've already kind of worked the messaging, kind of going back through, and I, I found this, and I, I, I laughed aloud. Then I went and showed it to Brother Dwight, and he laughed as well. Listen to what it says here. Mark 16 Verse 14, Jesus is appearing to the eleven here. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. Now, again, if I can set this up, imagine the scene. They've doubted, they've not believed, they've told people they're crazy. They call these women insane, essentially. Now, Jesus is coming and abradeth them, abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Now, how would you feel when the person that you were devastated that had died had rose again? You betrayed him by not believing him. And then you betrayed him by not believing the others who said, Hey, he was right. He rose from the dead. Now he's here. He's basically, uh, ripping into them. Okay. That's, that's the best way we, can. he's, he's rebuking them. And here's where I, I just think this is hilarious. And then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. <laughs> You're worthless scoundrels, not believing what I said, not believing what others said. By the way, I, I have a few things I need you to do. I need you to go preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, I'm glad the Lord uses losers, amen, because that means I can be used. I'm glad the Lord uses failures. I just think it's uh, the funniest thing, this scene that uh, he rips into them and then uh, but I need, do need you to do this for me. Amazing that God uses any of us. So for 40 days, Jesus came and went, dealing with unbelief uh, of his disciples, and he dealt with them by many infallible proofs here, the Bible says. All right, let's look at the just before the ascension here, the command before the ascension. Look at verse number 4. And being assembled together, with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So there's a command here he gives. Uh, he, he commands them not to depart from Jerusalem. By the way, the disciples would have no real desire to stay there. Uh, they were men from Galilee, and Jerusalem was not uh, friendly to uh, to followers of Christ. But the safest place for any of us to be at any time of our life is always right in the middle of God's will even if it's in South Dakota, even if it's in Africa, wherever it is. Wherever God wants us, that's where we need to be. And there was a purpose, though, for the command. He said, but wait for the promise of the Father, and uh, that wait, waiting for the coming of the Holy Ghost. Uh, there's a great blessing was coming their way in the form of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, if we are in the right place, then the blessing will come. We talked about that here in, in the morning service this morning. If we're in the right place, the, the sojourning in the land of promise, Abraham was, uh, here they stayed where God told them to be. If you want to be blessed of God, be where you need to be, doing what you should be doing, and uh, God can bless. Uh, be in the right place. But it's interesting here, the word, the second word in this uh, phrase here, he said, but, oh, it's hard for me to say this word, wait, <laughs> wait for the promise of the Father. We don't like waiting. Waiting is hard for the flesh. Uh, Waiting is sometimes the hardest thing for us to do, but it's a requirement for the blessing sometimes. Imagine how excited they were. Jesus had risen from the dead. I mean, they were pumped up here. They had to be fired up with enthusiasm. They were now handed a mission from a man who had defeated death and risen from the grave. There was no job they would not do for him. There's no crowd they wouldn't stand in front of. There's no problem that they would not face. They were excited. They were enthused. And then Jesus said, wait. Enthusiasm is a good thing. Vince Lombardi, a coach, said, if you aren't fired with enthusiasm, you'll be fired with enthusiasm. Uh, We ought to have enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is a good thing for us to have in our Christian life, but enthusiasm does not last on its own, especially enthusiasm in the flesh. I've seen it a hundred times in church work, and so have you. Work on the bus? Yes, sir, brother, I'd love to work on the bus. Then you get on the bus and you realize it's 110 degrees in there. And, and when you have 35 kids in a 110 degree bus, they tend to, well, they tend to smell a little bit. And of course, the, dri- the driver does too when, when there's that hot in there. Just, uh, you can't escape it. And sometimes our, 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 uh, our enthusiasm can wane a little bit. I'd love to work in the nursery. It is a testament to the character of the ladies of our church that you all even hear this tonight after last week. I mean, last week you went through the fire in the nursery back there. I appreciate those of you that uh, were that went through that battle and you survived and you're here uh, to face another day. Uh, what I'm saying, though, is the, the enthusiasm, even though it might have been sincere, and I believe it was, but human enthusiasm, it has no staying power in and of itself. It's born of the flesh. They needed more than that. You know what they needed? They needed the Holy Spirit. You know what you and I need? We need the Holy Spirit in our life. And so Jesus said, "Wait. Don't leave Jerusalem. Someone's going to come and he's talked about the comforter in other places there. They needed uh, uh the Holy Spirit for an impossible task. They uh, the sincerity, I'm sure, of their, uh, of their enthusiasm. I'm sure it was sincere. But they're in the upper room, just like it's, it's the same for us. As we sit in our church surrounded by friends, it's very easy for us to make grandiose promises and big plans, and then we get out and reality hits. What they're going to do is they're going to get out and realize that people are not going to believe what they have to offer, what they're saying. They're going to find out that they're going to be imprisoned and they're going to be beaten. And then eventually all of them except for John are killed, are martyred for the cause of Christ. So this is going to take more than just simple enthusiasm. This is going to take the Holy Spirit. Christ's presence with them around the quiet room that night would be a great one. But it wasn't going to be enough to keep him going after he was gone. They needed the promise of the Father. They would need the Holy Spirit to enlighten them for several reasons. Uh, As to their memories, the New Testament needed to be written. Uh, They needed to uh, remember the words that Jesus taught them. Uh, That that would all need to be recalled and to be written down. They needed the Holy Spirit for that. They couldn't do that themselves because the Bible is written under divine inspiration. Not only their memories, but as to their message. They were not to preach man's wisdom, but they were to preach words that were supplied by the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament uh, would have to be seen in a new light. It would have to be preached with new relevance. The meaning of Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection, which made up the gospel. This would have to be not only understood, but also uh, proclaimed to people. They need the Holy Spirit for that. You know what? When we try to go about that work in the church, and we do it without the power of the Holy Spirit, we're just spinning our wheels. You ever witness to somebody or talk to somebody? Uh, for salvation maybe after a church service or you were a counselor in some situation like that you ever talk to them and verses came to your mind you didn't know you remembered and, and the right words came and and uh, it amazes me so I was just talking to somebody the other day and and uh, I got I after I was finished I was like I, I just they said something trying to trip me up and I returned with well I, I mean don't hesitate to say it was quite brilliant actually uh, with what I returned with but don't give me any of the credit. It was the Holy Spirit. And uh, that happens as we're talking to people. And we we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it ourselves. So to their message. Also as to their movements. When to go. Where to go. Who should go. They needed the Holy Spirit for that. And, uh, and then to uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, they not only needed him to enlighten them, they needed him to energize them. Uh, to preach with power, it does not matter what kind of talent you have. And no man, no man has what it takes to convict and to convert a soul. I can no long, no more save a soul than I can fly. Can't do it myself. I, once in a while, I'll be talking to people. I just talked to somebody recently uh, from Michigan that uh, I re, that it was back. He was telling me about something. It was before you saved me, and I know what he means. Uh, before you led me to Christ, but his. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. talking to actually a lady tonight that has a burden for her niece. You know what? I guarantee if she could get, if Clarine could get saved for her niece, she'd do it, wouldn't you? All of us would. Uh, we have unsaved grandchildren or friends or nieces, nephews, uh, children. We'd get saved for them if we could, but we can't. There's nothing we can do there. Uh, so we need a power outside of ourselves to make Christ real to lost people who are blinded by sin. They needed a Holy Spirit for that. Also, not only to preach with power, but to live the life they needed to live. Uh, They did not have what it takes to live the Christian life. We don't either in and of ourselves. As Jesus had given his life for them, now he must give his life to them in the form of the Holy Spirit. They would need the Holy Spirit... Uh, for that, uh, just to live the life. They also needed the Holy Spirit to encourage them. Yes, they're full of enthusiasm now, but what about when they're alone? What about when they're in the middle of a, middle of the night and it's dark and they've been beaten and their hands are in the stocks like Acts, we see in Acts chapter 16. What about then? What would, what would enable them to sing songs with a sore and hurting and bleeding back with uh, pain and with misery all around them? The Holy Spirit allows that. What about when the whip was falling on their backs? What about when they faced a cruel death? What we need the spirit and we do too. They we need the excitement and the enthusiasm of a revival meeting. I think many of us have that now. If we were here last week, man, if you're if you weren't excited in that those services, your exciter is broke. You need to go get that checked out. Uh because that was a good time. It was is a great time of encouragement and we need that. Uh but when that wears off, we need the Holy Spirit. To step in. Because along about, I don't know about you, but beings where we're at, along about the end of January, February, I'm no longer excited about the September revival. I'm just trying to survive, you know. We need the Holy Spirit to keep us going, keep us serving the Lord. The disciples uh, were told to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. There's a reason for it. Isaiah 40, verse 31. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Uh, They asked a question, I don't want to belabor this too long, but they asked him saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? The disciples' question had to do with the future. Uh, They were interested in throwing off years of Roman rule. Now, Jesus throughout his ministry had talked about the kingdom, the kingdom of God and his kingdom. Now they wanted to know, when's this kingdom going to come? We want the kingdom to be restored. Now, uh, we shouldn't be too hard on them. We know Jesus was talking about a spiritual kingdom. They're talking about a physical kingdom. But ever since they were knee-high to a short sheep, they've been taught about this physical kingdom that the Messiah is going to come and and bring. And so we can't be too hard on them. This is what they thought and were taught their whole life. And uh, so they were right to the truth of it. They were just wrong as to the time of it. Uh, He had been with them 40 days now, teaching them about the kingdom kingdom, and they were still a little bit confused here, which is, by the way, another reason they needed the Holy Spirit in their life. Look at what Christ responded to their question here. They asked in verse 6, Lord will thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So uh, Christ told his disciples plainly here that they are not permitted, it is not for them to know the times and the seasons, and I'm not going to make a big deal about this except... Just suffice it to say, anybody who's a date setter is not a biblicist. People who uh, believe the Bible and who study the Bible do not set dates. And you seems like every few years we have another new date setter. I remember the first one that really scared me to death was back in 1988 when uh, there was a book came out, 88 Reasons Christ Will Come Back in 88. Well, Christ didn't come back in 88. And uh, he, believe it or not, published another book the next year. Uh, I was off by a year. He didn't sell as many books that year as he had the year before uh, because we're not to know the this times or the seasons, Jesus said. And then he goes on, which the Father hath put in his own power. We have to leave it to God and his wisdom as to when this prophecy is fulfilled. It's in God's hands, not ours. So what should we focus on? He tells you in verse 8. I, I like verse 7. You can even write this in your Bible if you want to, if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible. Beside verse 7, you can write God's job. Beside verse 8, you can write my job because here's where our responsibility comes in. He says in verse 8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We find here what is called the Great Commission. Uh, or a part of it, it's it's, uh, also in Matthew 28, it's also in Mark 16. Uh, We find these uh, kind of a rewording of them, but essentially here, the Great Commission. Christ gave a promise and a command here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Don't miss this because it's not just one without the other. We have the promise and a command. We have both the ability to serve and the assignment to serve. We have both the dynamic for service and we have the duty in service. And so he gives us both of these, and we don't want to only grab on to the one without taking the other as well. He says in the promise, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. When God calls, he enables. Whenever God calls anyone, he enables them. And the enablement, that word, comes through the Holy Spirit. The power comes through the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon them that they'll receive power. Uh, The power does not come first. I know the the verse in our English wording today, it kind of sounds like the meaning of this verse, though, is that the power comes when the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is to come upon you. This power here in the New Testament is not talking about personality. It's not talking about charisma. It's not talking about talent. We're talking about divine, godly power that he'll bring into our lives, abilities to do things that we uh, should not normally be able to do. I love to hear the testimonies of some of my favorite preachers who uh, give I've I've heard testimonies of, of I mean dynamic, powerful preachers who stuttered like crazy when they were little and, and somehow God cured them of it and they were able to do to, to a great work for God because when God calls, he enables and he uses us. So as often as this is the case though. When we have a good promise, like here, all power is given unto you, and he's telling us about the power we'll get with the Holy Spirit. When a promise is given in the Bible, it's usually, if not most of the time, accompanied by a command. He says, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now let's break down this commandment. Uh, Look at the persons for evangelism. He says, ye now that refers immediately to the disciples who were listening, but in principle it refers to all of God's people. Now you can look at, uh, if you couple this verse with the rest of Scripture, there's no question that, that it is the expectation of God that we evangelize and that we give the gospel to other people. It's all throughout the New Testament. and So uh, the persons for evangelism is any saved Christian. The proclamation in evangelism, ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now again, uh, old English wording, it, it looks like it says we're to witness to Christ. Obviously that doesn't make any sense. It, meaning here is that we're witnesses of Christ. Uh, we're not called to be lawyers, to argue a case before the minds of men. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. We had a incident just the other night. And uh, after the service, somebody stayed late and it was, it was a visitor, never, never been here before, but uh, gotten into a kind of an argument with the evangelist. and, and it was just it was, it was a no-win situation. They finally just had to uh, agree to disagree on what was going on there. But uh, we're not called to argue the case. We're called to be witnesses. Make difference. So have you ever met anybody that loves to argue? Man, they love to argue. They'll find something obscure, and they'll just argue about it and argue about it. And uh, it'll be sometimes silly things. Usually it's things that don't even matter. And uh, and, and we're not called to argue. And, and I, I'll tell you, I'm not big on that. If I get somebody that's hard-headed about something, I'll just give them a track, give them a Bible verse. not going to argue about where Cain got his wife. It's just, it doesn't, it's not, you're not going to gain anything. Okay, if you finally convince him that Cain married his sister, what have you gained? You've gained nothing. Uh, a man convinced against his will, will is of the same opinion still. And so uh, the, the argue, we're not called to argue. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You know what our job is? To be witnesses. We just witness. What does a witness do? A witness is, uh, it basically tells what he's seen and heard. That's what a witness in court does. You get up, you raise your right hand, you promise to tell the truth, so help you God. You sit down and they ask you what you've seen or what you heard. And then you testify. That's what we are to do. This is what Jesus Christ did for me. This is what he can do for you. I'm a witness of what he has done in my life. And so we're to be witnesses. It is the Holy Spirit who does the, uh, who does the pleading and the, is the Holy Spirit who calls for a verdict in the heart of the listener. We are just to be witnesses. You know what that does? Take some pressure off. Because sometimes I talk to people and I know they need to be saved. They know they need to be saved and they don't get saved. But I I can't make, like I said earlier, we can't make them get saved. We are just to be witnesses. So that's an important thing for us to remember. And then the place of evangelism. He talks about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the earth. This means the gospel was to go everywhere. They were to start where they were and then work progressively to other parts of the world. This is important because there are some that treat this list as a sort of menu where I'll, uh, I I don't witness to anybody or I don't ever tell anybody I'm a Christian but I give money to missions. This isn't a menu. This is a progression. We should all be involved in every stage of this uh this uh this witness here. Uh they were to do start where they were and then work outward. Uh, this is the Lord's master plan for world evangelism. Let's break this down. They were to begin in Jerusalem. That's their own community. They were to begin with families, with friends, uh, neighbors. That's where our witness should begin as well. And then they were to reach out next to Judea. That's their own country. Uh, they uh, we were to witness to those. They had the same language. They had the same customs. They had the same environment. They had the same government. Uh, they would, this would be their first kind of, uh, I guess trial in reaching beyond their neighborhood there. Home missions is just as important as foreign missions, amen? There's just as big a need in our country, and we try to balance that out through our church, but, uh, we are to be a witness there as well. If, if we're not excited about reaching our own country, how can we be excited about reaching somebody else's country? Saul and Barnabas, by the way, they were the—they showed this principle. They're the first missionaries that were sent out. You know what they were doing uh, before they were sent out uh, to other lands for being a missionary? They were witnessing at home. they were being faithful where they were, and they showed this pattern. They showed this principle here. Then, uh, not only their own community, their own country, but then to Samaria, that was beyond their own country to the to country to their own continent. Now, Samaria was their neighbor country, and we. I think all understand the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Jews hated them, called them dogs. The Samaritans hated the Jews. Uh, they were really not accepted by the Gentiles or the Jews. Uh, so they had racial and religious prejudices against the Samaritans, and Jesus specifically says into Samaria. By the way, did you know if you study your Bible, none of the twelve that Jesus is, the eleven here that Jesus is talking to ever made the first move to go to Samaria? You know who the first one was that went to Samaria? A deacon. Praise God for godly deacons. Philip was the first one to go to Samaria. So I find that interesting. Uh, It was not until revival broke out in Samaria that the apostles suddenly showed an interest and, and a willingness to go there. And then finally they were to evangelize the uttermost part of the earth. They were to reach the regions beyond. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, Matthew 28, 19. That is what we know today as world missions. Now, to apply this to Bible Baptist Church, because that's where we want to follow the model that Jesus set forth. Amen? We want to do what Jesus tells us to do and how he tells us to do it. So, Jerusalem, their own community. We ought to be about the business of reaching our own community. To that end, we do a bus route. We have Tuesday night visitation. Uh, we have soul winning. We have a tract ministry. We have, uh, we practice confrontational evangelism. That's where we talk to people about their soul, ask people if they know they're going to heaven, and, uh, that if they would like, if they would let us tell them how. We have a nice church sign. We advertise in the community guide. Uh, Pastor Forsberg goes to Walmart, and, uh, you might think that's not a big deal, but he reaches a lot of people at Walmart. Amen? Uh, just going out and about. We were talking about that. Uh, not long ago, how uh, just being out and about in a small town, you meet a lot of people. Uh, there's a I- interesting a young man visited our church a few weeks ago, and I went by his house. Actually, I wasn't the first one. I think Brother Jeremy went by his house the first time. And then I went by his house, and uh, he was not eager to see us I mean, it wasn't rude or anything you just you can tell when you're talking to somebody look I visited your church stop bothering me type of thing so it wasn't uh too eager to see us anymore so I did I thought to myself I, I just said you know be praying for him call me if you need anything or I can help you in any way and uh I thought well that's uh last time I'll, I'll bother him and I wasn't going to bother him again you know what God did <laughs> he keeps sticking him in my path I ran into him uh Friday And I ran into him Saturday, and I ran into him today. Went to McDonald's after church day, and there he is sitting there one of the tables. Hey, and I won't name him, but I said, hey, how you doing? You know, and talking to him, and I find it interesting when uh, uh, the Lord works those opportunities out for you. Our community, we need to be outreaching them. Uh, Pick somebody that comes to church. I appreciate some of you do this already, and I really appreciate that. We had some visitors this morning, first-time visitors. Get their name, get their number, text them. Ask them if you can be a, a help to them. Take them out to lunch. Meet them for coffee. Uh, reach our community. And, and the blessing about Bible Baptist, one of the things that we better not take for granted because I talk to many pastors who go three, four, five, six months without ever a first-time visitor. And we have them almost every Sunday. Let's not take them for granted. Let's, let's, uh, you know We work so hard to get people out and then God brings them, some of them. Let's treat them right and let's uh, do, do right by them. So their own community and then Judea, their own country. Because of the makeup of the United States, we we usually apply this to our state as we work outward, and so the state of South Dakota. And I I tell you, you know this because we've talked about it before, but I have a burden for the state of South Dakota. Soon after I got here, I was uh, privileged to become kind of the the, uh, organizer for the pastor's fellowship meetings East River and so we have about 35 pastors on our on my uh, contact list and every month I contact them I try to keep regular calls uh, to them we just had a pastor's fellowship uh, Monday where we had a number of pastors out and so uh, we we do a a pastor's conference Uh, we did one our first one this year already have a the speaker scheduled for next year, and excited about that. Uh, we do a ladies' conference every other year. Do all that I can to encourage other pastors in our area to to kind of step outside or, or think outside of their box. Dwight Smith and I, you can be praying for this. Uh, we we talked about this week. It, it started just kind of as a conversational piece, and then the more we talked about it, the more we realized it can be a reality. Uh, but we are are praying about in twenty twenty two taking a ten day. Uh, he would take I'm sorry a ten week it would take a ten week hiatus uh, Brother Paul Crow initially said he would be in as well if we would just have to schedule this but uh, and do just do a ten week uh, ten towns in South Dakota throughout the state on the east side here uh, tent meetings in different cities and just go in and hold a weekly tent meeting uh, we've got two colleges that would be willing to send some preacher boys and I think it would be a great thing, wouldn't it, to get some uh, preaching and get, get the gospel into some of these areas that don't have churches and to establish at least some Bible studies to begin with. Uh, these things take vision. Uh, it takes an involvement of, of a lot of different people. Uh, but something has to be done to reach our state, amen? And I think we ought to be leading the charge to do it. So we need to be not only reaching our community, uh, but reaching our, our state as well. And then Samaria, their own continent. This I would apply to America. I believe in supporting the establishment of churches in the United States. Uh, I'm thrilled that that our, our men and then our church agreed a, a year and a half ago that we would uh, take part in the uh, in planting local churches or or, or uh, in American churches uh, through the uh, church planting conference at Heartland uh, Baptist College, and and uh, so. Every year, uh, last year we did, planning to do so again this year, take our annual offering at Thanksgiving, and it goes directly into United States church planting. Last year, we were able to help 200 pastors, uh, 200, 22. I wish we could have helped 200, and we could if we had given like a dollar a piece. But uh, we ha- we were able to help 22 pastors, different churches. I still get letters uh, monthly from some of them uh, are the Canavans we supported. They're going to New York City. They're doing a phenomenal job laying the groundwork for a New Testament uh, Baptist church in the middle of New York City, right there in Manhattan. And uh, we've got uh, we've got pastors and churches all over that we've had a hand in and trying to get started. I think that's important. Uh, we are bearing a part there in fulfilling the Great Commission. So you pray about what God will have you do here in a couple of months, and maybe we can sacrifice and do even more uh, to help those churches at the at that uh, conference there. How quickly our world could be evangelized if every church did things God's way. Think about it. If we took God's plan and we took, God seriously in his plan. Because I'm telling you, today, churches are more worried about uh, not offending and about integration and about assimilation than they are about just giving the gospel out and winning people to Christ. Much more concerned about that. And I'm all for assimilation. I'm all for those things to an extent. But our primary, uh, the Bible doesn't say here, but you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall assimilate people. All It says you shall be witnesses unto me. And it gives uh, the areas that we go to, and so uh, we are—we ought to be serious about taking part in these things. And of course, I, I didn't mention, but uh, beyond Samaria, our continent, we uh, go uttermost parts of the world. That's those missionaries we have on the back wall there, and uh, able to send money out all over the world. Next Wednesday night, or this coming Wednesday night, we'll have Lilo Avita with us and uh, he's one of John Conrad's national pastors. You want to be here for that. He's a blessing. He's been faithful for for years with him. So, uh being a part of that is an exciting thing. But uh back to what I was saying. So, if if we did things the way that God says and every church did things the way that God says, began with their own community, reached out to their country, become involved in missionary activity in their own continent and then uh sent uh, out missionaries worldwide, <laughs> The world would be invaded by believers from all nations if we did things God's way, reaching out to all peoples in all parts of the world. The Bible says, Ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's what Jesus said. We're not to spread or to send out American culture or uh, people to try to convert people to our ideology. We're to go out as witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with going out and helping people with medicine and such things, but the primary goal should be to be witnesses uh, of Jesus Christ. We're to introduce people to Christ. We're to be witnesses for him. The Holy Spirit does the rest. Amen? We just be witnesses. How about this week, if you would just, uh, just commit yourself. We've just come out of revival and we've already talked about it quite a bit the last week, but how about if you just commit this week, stop in the back there, grab a few tracks, and uh, man, if you grabbed seven tracks and you handed out one a day, what a blessing that would be. But just commit. I'm going to be a witness. I'm to tell somebody what Jesus Christ has done in my life. I, uh, I think it's a great, uh, great... I, I've never done it until I heard a man... I was with a man recently that did it. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, he asked the person how how that he asked the person he was wanting to witness to hey do you know if I if I want to be sure I'm going to heaven how do, how do I know I can go to heaven that person was kind of stumped and hemmed and hawed and stammered around and baptism being good and church and by the time by the time uh, we let a little time elapsed we he realized and realized he we realized, and he realized, he had no earthly clue how to get to heaven, and that opens the door for us to then share our, our testimony. So, however you go about it, why don't you commit to witnessing to someone this week? Give them the gospel. Give them a track. If you're if you're uh, if you have a really hard time talking to people, give them a gospel track. Give them a book. Give them a Bible. Do something uh, to get the word out. We are to be faithful. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit when we get saved. First Corinthians uh, uh, 6.19 tells us that. So when we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit. So let's do what we're supposed to do because we have the Holy Spirit. You shall be witnesses unto me. Let's be that. Amen? Let's do God's Word. Father, we thank you for this great passage. Of-